one. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil in their, under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, they, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has enough, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear of hearing. The same one. And Ecclesiastes 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I was reading the wrong. Starting at 8, sorry. This is Ecclesiastes 12, starting with 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Excellent. Kids are invited to kids' church with Emily. Silas. Silas. Come on, Zoe. Let's go to Silas. and hurry. You only get that back. Let's go meet Miss Jane. Oh, okay. What Miss Jane is doing. shoulder up and just had reconstructive surgery and I look at him and I knew instantly who he was. I mean just instantly. And uh, he looks at me like, oh, that's what I said. It's all right, brother, I got you. And so I just feed him up there. I get him in there, pat him down, look at him and stuff and make sure he's okay. And uh come over and I go, crap, are you uh are you a Joe Manchin look alike or are you Joe Manchin? And he goes, Yeah, that's me, I'm Joe Manchin. <laughs> and for those of you guys that don't know him, uh, there are 535 representatives or, or representatives and senators in the U.S. Congress. It's the greatest deliberative body in the world, in one of the most important countries in the world, and he is the most significant 
uh, member of those 535. He's controlled the whole show for the last two years because he's the key bogey. And I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. Here's this guy. Here's this guy. And then a little Ecclesiastes bird came to my head. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then I got to thinking about what we're doing here today. Let kids share God's word. And it's not meaningless. It's not vain. It's not going away. It's not just burning up. Everything we do here is burning up. But this word's going to be pretty sweet. I'm on the bus yesterday going up to Aspen in my little cubby hole. You know, it's dark out and cold and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I read this from Spurgeon because um, Kim's making me read Charles Spurgeon all the time. He's the greatest preacher who ever lived, probably. And he says, Oh, blessed hurricane that drives the soul to God and God alone. And a little deeper, he says, Oh, tempest-tossed believer, it is a happy trouble that drives you to your heavenly Father. And we have been in a hurricane for the last 12 weeks. We've been listening to Ecclesiastes and it's been slapping us upside the head. Meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, futility, futility. It's all just, what are you guys doing? You're going to the grave, right? And we've been hit, getting hit by that hurricane. And it can do a lot of things. I think it drives some people to nihilism, where it's just like, life's worthless. What do, what do you care, right? It drives other people to maybe stoicism. Sorry, some people to hedonism. All right, well, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, man. I'm just going to drink my head off because there's nothing after I got here. But I think today I just want to really drive home the idea that we it drives us to God. That really those words about the meaningless of life should drive us to our knees. And drive us away from the things that we think are so valuable, but maybe aren't. So that's kind of where I was going on that. Just to maybe uh, review the summer a little bit, I just want to let you hear what you heard. I got like four little samples of it about what it sounds like in Ecclesiastes this summer. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I've seen all the works which have been done in the sun, and behold, all is futility is driving after the wind. Uh, from chapter 2, then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, on the labor which I had toiled, and indeed it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And therefore I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all this vanity and grasping after the wind. Chapter 6, for who knows what is good for a person during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life. You should laugh right there, because he's definitely mocking you at that point. In the few years of your futile life, he will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a person what will happen after him? And this one's the mixed bag in chapter 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all your days, all of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all the days of your vanity. For that is your portion in life, and the labor in which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds you to do, do with all your might. For there is no work and no device or no knowledge or no wisdom in the grave where you are going. So we kind of lived in that all summer, right? And that was pretty, it was pretty intense just to hear that over and over again, uh, the hardness of life and, and how that goes. But these words are meant to prod us. They're like a goat, right? They're meant to push us on into something else. And I guess the theme of the sermon today is well-struck nails. Um, the words of the wise prod us to live well. They are like nails hammered home, holding life together. They are given by God, one shepherd. And I just want to hit maybe three big ideas that I think ran through all of Ecclesiastes. Matt's given me this great job of like summing up all 12 chapters and 
20 minutes, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and I want to hit those three points and maybe bring a little hope to those, a little light to those, um, a little bit of another story as you interpret those and see those through the lens of the New Testament, um, which is going to be a little bit different. This Ecclesiastes thing is not just Ecclesiastes. Christ can sound like this often. The Psalms for sure can sound like this. Deuteronomy can sound like this. That there is suffering in the world, that there's toughness in the world, that the things that you are investing in are actually kind of shallow. You know, Christ can say, hey, be careful you don't put all your treasure and all your hope in these physical things that are going to just turn to dust and into rot. But David's got this, and I think this, this prayer right here in, in Psalm 39 is really a perfect transition. Um, and it's maybe a template for what I want to do today. He says, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? That I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths. My, and my age is done before you. Certainly every man at his best is stays as a vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. And he heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. If Ecclesiastes is the end of the story, then I guess maybe we just kind of walk out with our heads down a little bit and be a little sad and go eat, you know, let's all meet at the grind and have a beer and a burger and watch a football game because that's it, right? Um, but it's not the end of the story. And it's not the end of David's story. It says, my hope is in you. So, in the beginning, <laughs> the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. It was just chaos. It was just there. And it was just nothing of order, nothing of beauty, nothing of wonder. And then the Spirit of the Lord hovers over that chaos. And what happens is, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And then what does God do next? when he hovers over the water. What's he do next? Yeah, how's he do it? He speaks. He speaks the word of truth. And as he sees that chaos, he speaks the word of truth into it. And as the word of truth comes into the chaos of those waters, life bursts forth out of that. Right? And the same thing in our life. Right? He sees the chaos of what we have, for me, is what I've usually done to myself, the way I've screwed up my own life. He sees that and then he speaks life into that through his word. And that's really powerful. The way that word hover is used in Deuteronomy is the way an eagle hovers over its young. So the eagle is kind of over the young, about to give it a little bit of food, and it's just kind of doing this thing right over the nest. And it's that hovering right over it. And that's what the Spirit does over that. So of all the meaningless, of all the vanity, of all the futility, God is hovering over that and he's speaking truth into that. So John looks at it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come to be. In him was life, and the light was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never comprehend it. A little further on, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as one begotten from the Father. So in Genesis 1, you just get the Spirit speaking truth into it. In John 1, you get the, the Son of God being incarnated as the Word of God moving into our chaos and bringing life and light to it. So 
I'm trying not to stay in the, uh, I guess in the, in the gloom and doom and the wonder. I, I, I gotta tell you this. So Kim can vouch this in seventh grade. Ecclesiastes was my favorite book. And I don't know if it's just like you're just born goth in seventh grade or something like that, but man, I loved it. And Kim and I were on this backpack trip, and I, and I was, I love Ecclesiastes. She just goes, I hate that book. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't have a hated book in the Bible. And I go, I hate that book. And uh, she said that. And I just have loved Ecclesiastes. So when I'm talking trash about Ecclesiastes, just know that I love this book. It always has spoken to me uh, on a really deep level. But I'm not going to live Ecclesiastes, right? Thinking of this verse in uh, in Christ alone, which is a pretty new hymn, right? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He's my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. When you look at Ecclesiastes through the filter of Christ, it's a completely different book. Okay, it has a completely different flavor to it. Oh, I can hit my button, dude. Did that work? Yep. Okay. So first part here: the folly of resting in vapor. I think one of the things Ecclesiastes is meant to do is, and I'm gonna slap myself upside the head, but I can't do that because I got this mic on. So I'm gonna slap you, Jared. <laughs> and just slap yourself upside the head and say, "What are you doing?" Your little diversions, your little wordle in the morning, your little video game, your little, oh, give me some sugar donuts, your little whatever thing you do, everybody's got it. I'm gonna go shopping online. I walk down the bus, it's hilarious. I start at the back of the bus and I walk down and watch over the phone. Half the people are shopping, the other people are TikToking, and the other people are playing some video game like this and stuff. It's just, and I'm guilty too, but we don't talk about me. Um, so we just get these diversions. You know, I talked to my sister, and she was going super, super hard times. Oh, how's it going with you? Oh, I just binge watched blah, blah, blah. And for the last three days, I've been just watching this television series because she couldn't face the divorce, she couldn't face the alcohol, she couldn't face the violence, she couldn't face all the stuff going on in her life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna binge watch. That's what I did. I'm not judging that. I'm just telling we all do that, right? Um, but Ecclesiastes is meant to kind of punch that in the face and say that's hollow. That's not enough. And you can numb yourself right to the grave if you want. And maybe that's the best you can do. But God is saying there's something far deeper and better and more wonderful than that. And that's where we want to go. Um, Matt had this list. And I just thought I'd throw these up there because I thought they were kind of cool. You can't read them because they're too small. But he gave us this list in June of ways that we uh, self-medicate. And it's a very tame list. I can think of some harsher, more evil or darker more horrible ways to self-medicate, but you got sugar, fat, and salt. You got video games, sporting events. How's your football team doing, Sean? Uh, I don't know. I'm a charging it We got caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, marijuana, illegal drugs, TV and streaming services. Yes, I do have Disney Plus. I love it. Uh, movies, social media, widescreen TVs. Yes, 70-inch with a Bose sound system. That's good. Um, headphones, shopping online. And there's a whole other list, right? And those are just things we do to kind of not face the meaningless and the futility and the silliness of life, right? How hard it is, and all that we've heard um, so far in um, Ecclesiastes. Back to Spurgeon here for a second. Um, he's commenting on Job uh, 14.1. Job 14.1 says, How frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of trouble. 
Does that not sound like Ecclesiastes? You know, how frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? Spurgeon says this, Human's life is a bitter casket full of bitter wine. <laughs> he who looks for joy, and it would be better looking for honey in a salty ocean. Beloved reader, do not set your affection, affections on the things of earth, but seek those things that are above. For here the moth devours and the thief steals, but there all joys are perpetual and eternal. He's turning your heart from the things we've set him on here, right, to the things that we want to set on higher and greater, right? So that's awesome. Uh, a couple of verses to just let you know that this world is not our home, which I think is one of the most important parts, message of Ecclesiastes. If you think, as beautiful as Colorado is, right, that this is heaven, that this is your home, that this is the best you can do, you're wrong. Okay? I mean, Colorado is the highest suicide rate in the nation. That should tell you something. Right in the middle of this beauty, people say, I'm not going to go on. Okay? So there's got to be something deeper than just beautiful mountains and rivers and trees and all that kind of stuff. Um, David says, I'm a stranger on the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. Peter, in the opening of his letter, says this. Is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims. Let me give you some, some uh, synonyms for that. Aliens, foreigners, exiles, strangers, sojourners. That that's who we are. That this world is not our home. That we are exiles, we are strangers, we are pilgrims, we are sojourners. We are people moving through this place. And if you're fully accommodated to the world, you're fully accommodated to all the political BS that's going on, all the things that are happening on television, all the canceling, all the everything that's going on, if you're fully accommodated to that, then you've missed something. Because as... Christian. You're separate. You're different. You're unique. You ought to be an alien. You really ought to be. And every once in a while I have a feeling like, I'm an alien. I have no idea what these people are talking about or what's happening. And I cannot conceive of how they got to this point. Okay? Spurgeon says, I'm a pilgrim in the world, but at home in my God. That's awesome, isn't it? I'm a pilgrim in the world, but I'm at home in my God. In the earth I wander, but in God I dwell in a quiet dwelling place. Hmm. Job again. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand on the earth at last. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. See, the resurrection, Job is the oldest book written. Is the oldest book of the Bible, correct? The legend. Legend. <laughs> of course, there's a debate among the academics. But it's, it's probably the oldest book. Right? And right there in the middle of it, they're talking about the resurrection. What did he say? Yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. When we get to the C.S. Lewis quote toward the end of the sermon, there's a real difference between those who are getting sucked into death, hell, lifelessness, do this. And those who are going to be resurrected and given not the gift of life, which we all have, but the gift of eternal life. Because the resurrected are going to be new and different, and they're going to be in the presence of God, and His light is going to shine on us for eternity. And that's a different world. And it's just really interesting to me that in 
the alleged oldest book in the Bible, there is the resurrection, right? From the very beginning. All right, this world is not our home, too. Uh, you adulterers, this is James, you adulterers, do you not realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate for the spirit he has placed within us, and that it should be faithful to him. So that if God has called you, if he has said you are his, you are his daughter, you are his child, he loves you, then he wants that spirit. And he's not going to let it go. The spirit's going to pursue her, he's going to nudge her, He's going to poke her. He's going to hug her. He's going to whack her upside the head. He's going to do whatever it takes to get this girl into his place. And that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. That's what we pray for our kids, right? God will do that for them. So that's different than resting in the meaninglessness and the numbing and the social media and the social status and whatever. It's just different when your hope is in God and what he is doing as opposed to this world. Last scripture here. Jesus also suffered and died outside the city gates, Hebrews 13. Outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out with him, outside the camp, and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to home yet to come. I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, amen. That's it. That's all right there. We're not going to live in vapor. Vapor's not going to give us our life. But we're going to go outside of the camp. We're going to be identified with Christ. And we're going to be covered with the blood of the Lamb. I had this weird notion. This was pretty young when I had this idea. that Because I was getting baptized about 12. And then once I was baptized under the water, and it came up, that the demons would always forever look at me different than one who wasn't baptized. That they would see the blood of the lamb on me. And it would be a different, I don't know, but do you think that's right? Yes. A, that there's something, there was something different. And that's what we're called to in Defiance here. I mean, it is Defiance Church, right? Connects us to Defiance Colorado. We defy the culture that wants to suck us into all this worldliness. And Jesus defied death. And if you're covered with the blood of the Lamb, you know, you're going to just be different. And he's looking for you. I like that. You're, you're cute. You want, to go out to, you want to go out to lunch after this? Oh, yeah. oh, good. Here's one of the things Spurgeon said. Last one is Spurgeon, I think. She's really got me into this guy. Lord, he's praying, Lord, I would not be a citizen where Jesus is an alien. Amen? That's right. I don't want to be a citizen if Jesus is an alien. Man, we're flying through this sermon. All right. Button. Oh, what happened? Button. Button. There we go. Okay, so Ecclesiastes tells us not to trust in the vapor of this world. Everybody on that? Everybody got that point clean? You're just not supposed to trust on the vapor of this world. The next Ecclesiastes, I, so that's one big point I got out of all 12 chapters. Okay, I don't know if you guys saw that. That's what I got. Second big point I got out of this thing is that Ecclesiastes is meant to humble us. It is meant to smack us down a little bit. And if you don't think you need that, you don't know who you are. There is not a person that doesn't need to have a little bit of smack down once in a while. Okay? To just say you're not all that. You may think you are, but you're just that. 
So where do we fit in the universe? This is the word from Ecclesiastes. Oh, three times a deal. Uh, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than the sacrifice of fools. In other words, quit babbling. Oh, I should sit down. Um, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, and therefore let your words be few. Ecclesiastes calls us to some balance in our knowledge of who we are. It's trying to get you. See, some people think human or humble means you grovel or you're pathetic or you hate that you exist or you're sad. All humble means is that you're in the right place in the universe. God is in heaven. You are one of his kids. And you are to love those people around you. Okay? And if it's Senator Joe Manchin, he's no different than the homeless guy I saw at the bus stop when I was. So I, I got the bus, and there's this homeless guy kind of hurting. And I was talking to him a little bit. And then three hours later, I'm with Senator Joe Manchin. Okay? There's no difference. They're all God's kids, right? And humble just means that you get that. That you just understand that. That we're all called and covered by the blood of the Lamb. I'm sure humble means more than that. That's one of the things it means. So Ecclesiastes is calling us to this balance. I don't fully understand the scripture right here. And that taught on it. And I still don't fully understand it. Do not be overly righteous. Ecclesiastes 7. Do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked. Nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing, will not let go of the other. Don't be overly righteous and overly wicked. At minimum, it's calling for some balance, right? It's coming for some, some sense of, of order in that. Ecclesiastes 3 gives you a sense of this balance. And I just read a little of it. Uh, to everything there's a season, a time, and every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. There's, you hear that balance in life? This sense where you're in order. And I think that's part of humility, is that you're not God. And you're not a worm. You're just kidding. You're a son, a daughter in the home of the Father. And if you just can fit in that and accept that, then when all the stuff hits the fan, it's a little different. When the cancer strikes your wife, when the car accident, when you do something incredibly stupid that blows up your life, okay? And no one in here has ever done that, but you understand what I'm talking about. I understand. All right. This is Paul in Romans. Um, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but think with a sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith God's given. Same, right? Have a balanced judgment of who you are. What's it say in Romans, the same place, it says that uh, to his master, every servant will stand or fall, right? So we're before God in that. As I live, says the Lord to me, every knee will bow and every tongue confess to God, so that each of us will give an account uh, to himself, to God. And that's what the preacher says at the very last, right? He will call all deeds into account. Uh, for God, this is Ecclesiastes 12, God will bring every deed to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. And you guys know this one. I just love it, so I thought I'd say it. Psalm 103, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are like dust. As for man, his days were like grass, as the flower of the fields, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over and it's gone, and his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is everlasting. 
to everlasting and those who hear it. We time this this whole sermon should be about the word but. Because <laughs> you hear this, this is all going, I'll say, but the mercy of the Lord is everlasting, right? It goes on. I just have a couple of thoughts on the gift of humility. And if God humbles you, you can shake your fist at him, and you can shake your fist at the person who broke you down, or you can shake your fist at yourself because you broke yourself down, or whatever. But I want you to think of humility right standing in the universe as a gift from God. Ecclesiastes emphatically declares, I wrote a word on here that I can't even pronounce because it's too big. How dumb is that, right? Ecclesiastes emphatically declares that a life spent scurrying around, planning and striving, pretending God does not exist, is utterly vaporous and meaningless. Everything done not rooted in God turns to dust. We lie when we act like he does not exist because in him we live and move and have our being. A fish may pretend it is not swimming in water, but it is. Does that make sense? If we live in what's... I'm really sorry, but a fish has never pretended it's swimming in water. <laughs> but it might. And that's as stupid as what we're doing. Because we're running around going, God doesn't exist, God doesn't exist. I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. God doesn't exist. And it says right there in Acts that in him we live and move and have our being. We move within God, right? Um, I don't know. Let's just talk about this. Anxiety, anger, depression, and fear. As I look around, those are things that we all deal with on one level or another, right? They just seem to be the, the mental frustrations of our age. Anxiety, anger, depression, and fear. They all look different through humble eyes. When God gives you the gift of humility, they all look different. What do I mean by that? All these things in some way relate to control or a lack of control. I'm anxious about something I can't control. I'm afraid of something I maybe can't control. I'm depressed because I can't change it that way. I'm angry because that guy just cut me off. We're talking about driving in Houston. <laughs> he just cut me off. And, and you know, all those things have, uh, and I know there's much more to them, okay? I get it. There's a lot more to those four issues. But one of the issues is control on every single one of those. So if you're struggling with one of those, you know, that humility of Ecclesiastes should help you with that a little bit. Because what it does is it moves you into the sovereignty of God. It moves you into his control and his love and his watching over you. Um, humility does not negate our acting. In other words, we still have to do stuff and moving and planning and doing in our lives. But it does give perspective and balance. A healthy sense of our place and his sovereignty set us in right order. A healthy sense of his sovereignty and our place in the world sets us in order. He is the sun we orbit around. And I would just say, when you get overwhelmed, when I get overwhelmed with anxiety or fear or depression or anger, I'm out of orbit. Does that make sense? The planets need to be in relation to the power and the majesty and the awesomeness of the sun, right? In the same way, we need to be in relation. So this is a relational thing. I, I just thought I'd say that stuff. All right, we're cranking, Shelly. We're cranking. I love this section. Oh, I hit my button. The call to enjoy the good gifts of God. This is the third theme. So I think, number one, don't trust in the vapors. Number two, 
Let Ecclesiastes humble you. Number three, all through the book, it says enjoy, 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 enjoy. See, when Jesus was really serious about something, he'd say, truly, I say to you. When he was really serious, what would he say? Truly, truly, right? And when things were like out of control, you'd get holy, 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 like we started with, right? Ecclesiastes, I just give, I'm going to give you four examples, but it's all over the place. It's the thing that's repeated almost more than vapor and meaninglessness, right? And that is enjoy what God has given you, okay? I receive and I rejoice in his good gifts. That's hard to do, because sometimes we think we're so unworthy that he's not going to give us anything, right? Or we don't deserve it, or we sabotage ourselves and we get rid of it. I would tell you, receive and enjoy the good gifts of God. I thank him for these, and I try to hold them lightly. I know they're but for a season. They are, if you will, loaned to us. As our days rush by, they are precarious as a flower's bloom. We have been given so much, but we can't. We just have to hold them lightly. I was walking up by the hill and the lands west of us in, in Rifle, and I'm just going along in this early spring, and it's all of a sudden, and I look, and there's like this little yellow dot. And what's that? I look, I get down there, and it's these little wildflowers. You know the, the nasty flowers that they have at like Costco or Walmart that are injected with dye and steroids, and the flowers are just exploding? Well, these real flowers are just like beautiful because they're tiny, and right in the middle of that desert, here's this flower coming out, this succulent, you know? And that's kind of the way the gifts of God are sometimes. They're, they're not promised to you forever. And you ought to just enjoy them as you do. And then when they go, they go. I thank God every day for my wife, for my four kids, for my two grandkids, and for the rest of my family. I can't hold them. I can't keep her alive. I can't keep my daughter alive. Right? I can't keep my grandchild from horrible things happening to her. But I can pray God will. And I will enjoy them. And I'll delight in them. I love beauty. I had a kid in philosophy class one time defined beauty as, ah. Uh, I said, what? He goes, the definition of beauty is, ah. Uh. I said, I get it. You see something and you don't have a word for it, but you go, oh, oh. That's beauty, right? It's something you go, oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, that is amazing. I thank God for good food. When I'm not just cramming some, you know, fast food in the car and just doing some soup, but I sit down, she's there, we got some music on, we're taking the time to prepare a meal, it's healthy stuff, not trash, and we just sit down. Or go over to Shelly's and Jared and I and Shelly and Donnie just hang out and we eat a meal together and talk. I thank God for good food. It's a gift. And I know you're going to be much peas when I'm 95, but right now, I'm enjoying the good food. Thank God for a healthy body. Really been getting into working out lately, getting stronger. And what a gift. Is it all going to fall apart? Absolutely. You know, is it going to be dust? Am I going to get hurt? Is it going to be something stupid? But right now, I'm having a great time. I love it. Jump rope, you know, stuff like that. Um, I thank God for good friends. Is there something better than a good friend? Just, just to see a friend. Hey, brother, what's up? You know, I thank God for today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He's telling you, quit worrying about the future and all this other stuff. He said, right now, I got today. I'm here. I'm alive. I thank God for the beauty of creation. 
for wealth. We're rich. If you don't know you're rich, you don't even understand the world. Just almost by definition of being American, you are loaded. You are loaded. The power of this cell phone, 30 years ago, they would have just, their mind would have broke down to think about the computing power of that cell phone. What can you do through your phone? What can't you do, right? You know? Um, nap, a non anxious presence, faith. You ever think God that you wake up believing in Jesus? Some people don't. Yeah. Work. There's this little line in Ecclesiastes I wanted to highlight. So joy will accompany them in their toils. I don't want to go up to work and realize, oh, this is so hard. This is so terrible. Oh, I got a job. I got to do it. I hate that. Why not just rejoice? I got a job. I'm glad. It's a gift. And let joy accompany you with my toils. God's the one who told me to work. So what am I getting all sassy with him? It's a bad idea. Defiance? I love this little church. I love this little church. Life bigger, joy, all those kinds of things. All right, let's get her done. Oop, that's a great pop. The world uh, without God's vapor is striving after the wind, but God. <laughs> I love that line, but God. And it's deep in the Bible, all over the place. And I just want to hit you that. So we've heard all the vapor meaningless all summer, but I want to say right now, but God. In other words, the chaos is there, and the Spirit of the Lord is brooding over it, and it speaks life into it, but God. Something different happens than would have happened without Him, right? The godless and the believer hear the vanity and the meaningless and the futility of life as the wind blows and the rivers flow and all turn to dust. Did you hear that this summer? I heard it as a believer. I heard the vanity and the meaningless and the harshness of life. Okay? I hear it. And then the non-believer really hears it. And yet, the believer always hears something more because the Spirit speaks and tunes our heart to a different song. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We should be hearing something different. should be an undercurrent. There should be a thunder. There should be a rumble. There should be a drum. There should be something that says, hey, 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 this is different. Okay. I hope you guys have a chance to read the back of the bulletin right there. Okay. But there's this point in Perlandra where Dr. Weston has been possessed by Satan, and Perlandra is a retelling of the Garden of Eden on Venus. It's a science fiction book by C.S. Lewis. And Dr. Weston's been possessed by Satan, and all of a sudden Satan leaves him, and he's just broken, he's destroyed, and he's terrified. And he grabs Ransom, and he says, don't leave me, because I know what's happening. All right? And what he says, um, Oh, I didn't even read that. Well, that's all right. Let's move on. Whoop. You know it's going to drop this video. What he says is this. Dr. Weston, this is the guy who's been possessed and is now terrified. He says, Homer knew that all the dead have sunk down into the inner darkness under the rhyme. And then Ransom says, well, doesn't it say he's the God of the living, not the dead? I don't think he got the idea right. The thin outer skin we call life really clear. Picture the universe as an infinite globe with this very thin crust on the outside. But remember its thickness is the thickness of time. It's about seven years thick in the best places. We are born on the surface of it, and all our lives we are sinking down through into it. When we've got all the way through, then that's what we're called dead. We've gotten into the part inside, the real globe. If your God exists, he's not in the globe. He's outside like a moon. As other words, he stays put. He's outside in the light and the air. He's outside. And Ransom says to him, that can hardly be the whole story. 
I think it is part of the story. I, I don't know what hell is exactly. I can't exactly describe it. I can't exactly figure it out. But part of it, would you agree that part of it is the absence of God? And the thing that gives us life and hope and joy and, and regeneration and renewal is God himself. And if we are separated from God's presence, then that becomes the horror, right? And so that's what Weston's feeling here. He's getting sucked into the abyss. He's getting sucked into nothing. He's getting lost in death. In other words, the notion here for C.S. Lewis is that God has given everybody 70 years. Do with it what you will. And some of you will have eternal life in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and son, and whoever believes in should not perish but have eternal life. That God is going to give it to them. And if you're one of those, if you're one of those that's been called and given eternal life, you don't look forward to a future of being sucked into the abyss. You look forward to being with God in his presence for eternity. Just like Job said in the alleged oldest book in the Bible, that um, you know, I will see him in my flesh. I will be resurrected and saved. All right. Just have to start doing that. So I want to end with these, what I call the but gods. And they're my, some of my very favorite scriptures. Okay? Uh, in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's been tossed into uh, the hole, right? And he becomes a slave in Egypt, and he rises through God's grace. And then if you remember the story, he sees his brothers, right? And they don't even know who he is because he's second in command in all of Egypt. And they're like, ah. And this is what Joseph says to him. But as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people. I love that. The world was going one way, but God. He did something completely different. Acts 13.29 When they had carried out everything that was written concerning Jesus, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. So all the meanness, all the stuff, all the way from Ecclesiastes, Never forget that but God. Never forget that he's speaking over the waters, that he's filling you with life, that he's giving you the hope of resurrection, that he's giving you the hope of new life. The scripture we read this morning that Emily read, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And finally, Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that in while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is what I've been thinking the whole summer, this verse right here. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All through the Old Testament, there's this line, and I think it connects to that New Testament line. I am the Lord your God, who led you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He is the God that leads us out of Ecclesiastes. He's the one who leads us out of meaningless. He's the one who fills us with life. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.
All right, guys. Let me hit the button, and then I'll know what I'm doing next. This was my prayer that I just kind of wrote out. You know, okay. May we hear a deeper thunder, a better melody and key. May we hear your song pouring life and meaning and hope into our souls. That's my 